Bringing the outdoors to your ears, this is Ramble On by Drift, a student publication at the University of Texas. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ramble On. I'm co-director Dacia Garcia and I'll be your host for this episode. Today's theme is No Phones Allowed. We'll be talking about some places where phones aren't allowed and something I think most of us have experienced, social media burnout. Before we get started, let's hear from the podcast team to see what went into covering these stories and their personal experiences with social media and technology. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Jimenez. Hello, I'm Eli Lang. Hi, I'm Marina Kugler. I'm Dacia Garcia. So what's the backstory behind all these stories? Um, I guess the backstory of mine started out with us finding the story that Haley wrote on deleting TikTok and how that's really helped her mental health and also how she didn't realize how it was affecting her mental health. And I think that's something most of us in our generation deal with. And we all have some sort of social media. Um, So it's super interesting to hear her story. So it kind of started there. And we found some other people that had some interesting things to say on media and technology. Uh, My story started as... um... I'm Jewish, and I found out that there was a rabbi who has Friday night dinners in his backyard. And it very quickly stuck out to me that the environment was kind of unique and that people weren't using their phones. And the environment just seemed to be a really nice community and very welcoming. And I was just interested in how technology played into that and how other factors in the environment also played into being so welcoming and such a fun place to be. I had originally done something else, and that was too complicated. But my friend Cameron, who I work with at UT Farms Fan, um, she's always talking about Camp Kesem and stuff. And I've seen them on Speedway. What I thought it was just like, you know, one of those <laughs> orgs on Speedway that's like always trying to get people to engage with them or whatever. But yeah, she had always spoke like very highly of it and stuff. And I guess I was just kind of curious as to like the ins and outs of Camp Kesem and stuff. Especially because, like, it's a free-of-charge camp for kids who have been impacted by their parents' cancer, which I thought was, like, obviously it sounds like a pretty good cause. So, yeah, I just wanted to learn more about that, and I thought it was pretty fitting and definitely learned a lot. Like, it's probably one of my favorite stories that I've done this semester. It's just, like, a really cool organization. Since you were talking about how you learned so much, what did everyone learn from reporting on their stories? Well, I definitely learned a lot about Camp Kesem as a whole and, like, more about their mission and stuff. But one thing that really stuck with me when I was, like, reporting the story was that the whole thing is, like, it's kind of a place for kids, again, who have been impacted by their parents' cancer to have, like, fun and stuff. Or it can also be a place for them to, like, be vulnerable or to, you know, have that fun camp experience and just, like, be a kid again. And I thought it was really cool that, like, they get the choice of, you know, being vulnerable or just having fun. Like, it's not supposed to be, like, a super sad camp and that's all it's about or whatever. And then also, like, just the whole idea of choice is so present in, like, Camp Kesem and stuff because they also get to choose, like, their camp name and stuff, which I thought was cool because I thought it was, like, people from camp choose the name for you, but it's, like, oh, you get to choose your own name, which I also thought was cool because it's, like, sometimes I'm, like, damn, like, I wish I had a different name (laughs) or whatever because I feel like mine is so, like, basic. Sorry, Mom, but I don't know. It's cool that you get to, like, choose who you want to be, choose what you want to do and all this stuff, and I think that's something, like, we don't really get 
that much in life. Like, you have to do this because your parents say so or, like, you feel obligated to. I thought that was really cool. And then also just, like, listening to people when they're going through something, like, Again, people always want to tell you, like, what to do or how to feel. But at Camp Kesem, it's really just, like, you're doing what you need to to feel better or, like, to just have fun. And I thought, like, I don't know, that was just very, very special to learn about. Personally, I learned a lot about Judaism. As someone who finds Jewish culture very important, I'm I'm not religious. And so I don't know a lot about kind of the religious uh, ideology behind some of the things that a lot of Jews uphold. So I learned a lot about that and and how that factors into just such a a great value for community that I think is is present in Judaism. And I think you see that a lot in other religions as well. And then I guess I just learned a lot about varying philosophies on technology use. Everyone seemed to agree that technology to some extent was very powerful and, and helpful, but it was interesting to see how everyone had their own ways to disconnect and find ways to connect with people in person. I learned a lot about kind of how different people interact with media and how it looks different for different people of how they use media and technology. Because, like, I mean, the way I use media or what media I choose to use differs, you know, from how everyone else, everyone else has their own way that they like to interact with it. And um, it really made me reflect on how I use media after talking to Haley and the other people I talked to. But it really made me reflect on my own use of it because I don't have TikTok also, but I do have Instagram and I do spend a lot of time on Instagram scrolling pretty much like it was TikTok. And so I think since reporting on the story, I've been more mindful about the time that I've been using uh, media and trying to limit myself. Why do you think it's important that we covered these stories? I think personally, I think over the past few months, even outside of this story, I've been thinking a lot about technology and how it affects my life and social media and always being connected. And so I think that um, not only with my story in specific, but all three of these stories, I think it's it's been really great to look at the way other people view social media, technology, being connected all the time, and trying to, I guess, explore how that affects us. And I'm, I'm hoping that listeners will also kind of think about the way technology plays in their lives. Um, and then I guess more specific to my story, I think it was important to me to tell this story because it's something that is important. Uh, it's it's something that's big in my life. I grew up Jewish, and my immediate family, we were not really that observant, but I know that when it comes to my relatives, my cousins, that's one way I, I always connected with them. And so I think I've learned a lot about the religious aspects around that. So I'm hoping I'll be able to connect better with my relatives when I see them. I think my story was important to tell because I feel like so much of the people our age are on all the different social media platforms and so much of our lives kind of happens on those platforms. And that's, you know, not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's kind of just how technology and our communication has evolved to be. Like if you're a brand, you kind of have to have a presence on all platforms and to reach our generation. Most companies now have to be on TikTok, on Instagram, and that's kind of how they get information out there and how people receive information. But it's also, you know, we're getting all of this media all the time. And I think it's really important to kind of realize that sometimes it's too much and you need to know when it's too much for you and when to take a step back or just work on consuming media responsibly. 
first, I think all the stories in this episode are, like, super interesting. And I think it's important to, like, like you were saying, Eli, like, just understand the ways we interact with, like, technology or social media or whatever or, like, the absence of it. Like, what we can do, like, if we don't have our phones or whatever. Like, there's so much community waiting in the space where there's no phones or whatever. Or, like, you know, on social media, you can connect to so many people, which is also very cool but like it can be damaging or whatever so yeah I think it's interesting to learn about the ways like we can kind of balance like those two things but I guess specific to my story one common thing in the Kesem story was that like a lot of people don't really know how to interact with people that are grieving like sometimes you say the wrong thing and it's not necessarily like bad intentions or whatever it's just kind of like misguided comfort I guess like you're trying to comfort someone you love but you just don't really know what to say and there's not really something you can say that it will make that will make it better which is also another important thing to know but yeah I think it's just like important that we cover this story because you kind of have like a different understanding on like grief or just like people who are going through something like super heavy so yeah and a lot of things that my sources had said was just like oh just like listen to whoever's there and stuff and I think phones can kind of like inhibit that ability to listen like sometimes I'll find myself just kind of like on my phone still paying attention to what the person's saying but it's not like as actively engaged so that's another First, we'll be hearing from Eli Lang about the Shabbat dinner he attends weekly. It's a typical Friday night, which means that many Jews are observing Shabbos. For many, Shabbos is a time to focus on family or friends. For some, Shabbos is also a time to find spiritual meaning or to form a deeper connection with God. Personally, I like to spend my Shabbos decompressing from the past week and enjoying the company of the other Jews around me. Shabbos is a time where everything just stops. It doesn't mean we have to live for a day like the Amish, you know, turn off all electricity. You're allowed to use technology, but we don't activate it on Shabbos. So really what that means is before Shabbos begins, we turn off our phones, we close our laptops, we park our car, I say this day we're just going to enjoy. Enjoy it with the people around us, eat delicious food, spend time with friends and family, doing things that I don't necessarily get to do the rest of the week. That is Rabbi Trepp. Every week at his house, a few blocks west of the UT Austin campus, he hosts a prayer and Shabbos meal in his backyard. During the week we're busy with our emails, phone calls, text messages, social media, Shopping, movies, running to and fro, doing errands, going to eat. We're just like busy with the flow of life. You could be walking in the street and checking your messages and just constantly connected to the outside world. During the week, we're busy all the time, rightfully so. It says in the Torah, you should work for six days and rest on the seventh. The Torah is the Jewish text that outlines many of the central tenets of Judaism, including the idea that all Jews should take a day of rest on the day of Shabbos. Trepp says that resting on Shabbos is important because everyone is so busy during the rest of the week. When Shabbos comes, tranquility comes. And if we don't give ourselves that one day, I believe whether you're religious or not, Jewish or not, it's so important because otherwise you're living on a conveyor belt where you're just on the go, non-stop. 
And if that's the case, I'm totally enslaved to my work. Ephraim Abrahams is another rabbi who also attends TREPS every week. Ephraim also believes taking a break on Shabbos is important. You disconnect from anything and everything that takes you away from yourself and your immediate environment. Environment is what it is at the onset of Shabbos, and you, you completely disconnect from anything that can either expand it, change it, alter it, and that way you're able to focus on what you have. That's where the gratitude ultimately comes from. You can't really be thankful for the things you have until you're not looking to get, acquire something else. We believe that the things that we get during the week, all the blessings we receive, all the um, financial security and, and things like that, we believe that all that stuff, all that success and all that growth, they are set on Shabbos. So the day that sets the tone for the entire week is actually the last day of the previous week. So you put in a lot of work. You want to make it as beautiful as possible. Although many Jews have similar beliefs and traditions for Shabbos, Trepp's dinners are a bit unique because he hosts them in his backyard. Originally, Friday night dinners were always indoors. COVID came along and we wanted to start doing things outdoors. And I was fortunate enough to have a large backyard. And the energy was awesome. Rabbi Trepp rents out a private space in the Dobie apartment building, which is where his Shabbos used to be when they were indoors. In Dobie, it felt more like a cafeteria. It didn't have the energy of the warmth and just the joy and people just having a good time. When I did it outside, it really felt festive. Just people are coming and going and uh, just singing, eating, schmoozing, and just, just having a joyful experience. I wanted to create a community where Jewish people feel comfortable, feel at home from whatever background they come from. Orthodox, reform, conservative, religious, secular, observant, non-practicing. I want people to say, I'm Jewish, it's Friday night, I'm going to Treps for dinner. One person who commonly attends his dinners is Julia Cherkasov, who is a freshman biochemistry major at UT. She isn't as religious as Rabbi Trepp or Ephraim, but she still agrees that Rabbi Trepp creates a special environment. The people there are just like, they have a new perspective, and they're just so happy. It does remind me of home. I definitely feel like I've met more people through Trepp, because in Hillel, a lot of the times it's very sectioned off based on your table, and people don't intermingle a lot. Hillel is another Jewish organization near UT's campus. One group that often attends Hillel are members of the Jewish fraternity A.E. Pi. So like the A.E. Pi table, they sit with each other. The grad table, they sit with each other. But then with TREPS, there are new people to talk to, and people are welcoming there too. Michael Topiel, a junior economics student at UT, grew up in a traditionalist Jewish family, so interpersonal connection on Shabbos is very important to him. Going to Trips was really a continuation of that legacy of really keeping Friday night as a very community-orientated uh, moment for me. Trep is a very warm and hospitable person, as well as the people going there. And it just, it's really grown on me and become my community. And, you know, it just feels great to be there and to share these moments week in, week out. 
One thing that helps to create such a welcoming atmosphere is the absence of phones. It's not that phones aren't allowed at Rabbi Trepp's meals, but most people choose to keep them away. That way, they don't feel anxious about responding to people, and so that they are more focused on the people around them. As Rabbi Trepp says, it is very easy to be overwhelmed by obligations and the need to respond to people throughout the week. We've got a limited amount of hours during the day, and I think like with every new app on my phone is another way of receiving messages. It's nonstop. It, it, you can drown in it. And you have to, uh, I think, while technology is incredible, we have to find a way of keeping up and not letting it stress us out. And I think many people know by now that they can very often try to reach me and not get through to me. And it's not because I'm ignoring anyone. It's just I can't let this, the overpowering feeling of needing to be available all the time win over me. I can't do it. Ephraim says something similar. You've probably had moments where you put away your phone and you put away your connections to the things that could give you stress, anxiety, whatever, and you focused on what's in front of you. And you sat down and played a game. Or you did something different, whatever it is, and you engaged and you fully, you know, you got engrossed in it. Any day that a person disconnects, any time a person disconnects can really change your life, and I think a lot of people are starting to recognize that. Michael also feels like disconnecting from technology on Shabbos can help to connect with his Jewish culture and the people around him better. Oftentimes, technology can also bring us apart, and that's why Shabbat and just Jewish holidays are so important in bringing us back to the essence. It takes us back, or at least to me, it takes me back thousands of years, and I just look at these people, you know, who are in buildings, who are in high-rise apartment blocks and whatnot, and they're doing the same gestures we did thousands of years ago when we were exiled in the desert, and I think that has a lot of meaning and kind of power to it. So I wouldn't want technology to come in the, in the way of tradition. Although all the people I interviewed recognize the power of technology, they all feel like they need a break every once in a while. Both Rabbi Trepp and Ephraim, however, understand that not everyone who is Jewish is ready or in a place to give up technology for all of Shabbos. You could say, like, how disrespectful they're coming to Shabbat meal and they can't even put their phone away for a few minutes. Or you can say, they came, they showed up, they're there partaking in a Friday night dinner. And I think that's very, very beautiful. So while there is a perfect way to do something, not everyone is there but everyone wants to be involved. Now, if someone comes, am I allowed to use my phone on Shabbos? Of course, I'm going to say, don't worry about it, it's fine. I'm not going to say that. Because if you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you what the answer is. But I'm not judging you for it or telling you you're not allowed to come because you're doing it. Michael also chooses not to judge people who use their phones on Shabbos. As long as someone isn't constraining me in any way, uh, or anyone else for that matter, they're kind of free to do their thing, and I don't think it's our place to judge. At the end of the day, everyone goes to Trepp's dinners to feel more connected with their culture and to enjoy time connecting with others. I just really hope that something like what Trepp's managed to instigate stays in Austin and spreads elsewhere for many years to come because... As a European Jew, oftentimes growing up, it was a really, had a fraught relationship with religion where it was 
kind of in part um, about hiding it and at least disguising it because of the fear of what other people may think or, or do. And for me, at least on a personal level, just about being more proud um, about who we are, where we come from, and just how important it is to uphold your Jewish legacy and to get involved into your Jewish side. For Ramble On, I'm Eli Lang. Up next is Marina Kugler, who will cover social media burnout, specifically in Generation Z. As we see the digital age rapidly grow, we've gotten used to how central of a role technology plays in our lives. With our phones in our hand, we have constant access to the internet, social media, and digital connections. Sometimes this can be helpful, but it can impact our mental health. I spoke with Haley Vallejo, a junior studying English and psychology at Baylor University. Haley wrote a piece describing why she deleted TikTok for her campus, which is an online magazine written for women college students. I developed like a social media addiction sometime in high school. It became pretty bad, I would say, around my junior year of high school. Um, I think that was like 2019. That was even before TikTok was like a big thing. And then when TikTok kind of blew up, it just became so much worse because the way that TikTok is tailored to just give you this zero effort dopamine hit that is just really, it's just super addictive. Haley says she tried to delete TikTok before, but felt disconnected and out of the loop. I felt just super isolated and like the whole world was passing me by and I had no idea what was happening outside of my own life. And on one hand, that was really nice because I didn't have to constantly be taking in all of this information that had absolutely no bearing on my day-to-day life. But on the other hand, it made me feel really left out when my friends would say things that, that I didn't get. Haley says her decision to delete TikTok from her phone was actually unintentional at first. The actual reason I deleted it in the first place was because I was going to a concert and I needed storage on my phone and TikTok was taking like 10 gigabytes off of my phone just because of all my drafts. And so I deleted it then and I was like, I'll just re-download it right back. And then right before I was about to, I just had this like moment of clarity that for the past couple days where I didn't have it, like my screen time was just way down. I was doing things other than being on my phone and it made me feel a lot better and more productive to not have it. I decided to not re-download it after that because I realized how consumed my life was being just by staring at my phone all day and being on TikTok. Haley says that she didn't realize how much social media was affecting her until she took a step back from it. If I'm just like a normal college kid like I'm, nothing insane is going on in my life but I see these people who have done so much with themselves and that's great for them but I look at myself and I look at my own life and it started to really take a toll on me I felt like I wasn't doing enough because I was just constantly being fed images and videos of people who are showing the best parts of their lives and I can understand that on a rational level, but at heart, it gets to me because I still do compare myself and I feel jealous and it's just not a good feeling. Haley says deleting TikTok and being on her phone less gave her a lot of extra time to find new hobbies. 
it's good because it's like helped me to develop hobbies and actually take time and be able to sit with myself. And I think like the moments that I have where I don't even want to do any of that stuff and I'm just kind of sitting there just like with myself even like in silence, that has also been good for me. And I've had to relearn how to just spend time with myself. She also says that deleting TikTok improved her mental health. It's so crazy. Like there are just little things that I realize have shifted within like how I see the world and how I see myself. I'm I'm not like walking around every single second of the day worried about how I look. There's been a weight taken off of my shoulders that was telling me that I just couldn't be like normal and I couldn't live a normal, relaxing life and I couldn't take things at my own pace. Haley encourages others who feel the same way to take a break, even if it's a little uncomfortable at first. I think that for anybody who is struggling with things like self-image because of social media or not feeling good enough or successful enough or productive enough, take a step back from social media and those feelings will significantly dissipate, if not completely go away. It's okay to just exist without putting so much pressure on yourself because of what you see other people doing. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to step away from it, regardless of like, you, may, you might feel out of the loop or you might feel excluded from jokes or trends or whatever. There's nothing wrong with having to get through that phase to better your mental health. University of Texas freshman Jordan Abrams has taken this to another level. He got rid of his smartphone completely in favor of a flip phone. The end of eighth grade and beginning of ninth grade, I was very, I guess addicted would be the appropriate word, very in love with my phone in that I would spend most of my free time at home just texting people in group chats or spend way too much time on Reddit. Good Lord. Um, that was not a high point in my life. But I kind of realized once I started high school, people weren't really interested in talking to each other. Like I would be face to face having a conversation with someone and then we would both kind of just start looking at our phones and stop engaging with each other. It kind of gives you the impression that they'd rather be with that other person than actually engaging with you, which made me a little sad. Eventually I just started using my phone less and less and would just turn it off when I was at home. That way I just wouldn't be disturbed and would kind of have alone time, peaceful time to myself. Jordan says he didn't even want a phone, but he still wanted to stay connected with friends. He decided that a flip phone was a good compromise. So basically, I just kind of decided to get the least phone phone that I could get, which ended up being this awesome flip phone. Jordan says having a flip phone helps him spend less time on platforms that he felt were draining. I know a lot of people have talked about how social media is super draining in a sense because you're constantly comparing yourself to others. And I personally feel like I do way too much of that anyway. It's just nice not having a whole nother world in your pocket. Just being grounded in where you are and with the people you're with. And I feel like it makes life a lot better. So we've heard from two students who decided to take a step back from media because they were frustrated with its effects on their lives. To get a totally different perspective on media and technology, I spoke with Dr. Gary Wilcox, a professor in advertising and PR at Moody College of Communication. 
Well, you know, when social media first started and I was around when it did, you know, no one really thought too much about it being addictive then. And, and it's definitely, you know, changed uh, the way you do things. In, in, in your generation, my generation, at least I do things like I sometimes, I don't know, where, I don't know, where'd my phone go? Oh gosh, I don't know where, I left it somewhere. Your generation, would, that would not fly. TikTok's a fairly new platform, and Wilcox discusses how he views TikTok from a marketing perspective. TikTok is not aimed at me. I'm out of the, the target, in the demographic, let's call it, but it's aimed at your generation, and people seem to like it. And if you look at some of the data, it says that that's a, the Gen Z's search engine. And so if you're a marketer, you have to pay attention to that. You have to say, okay, well, if that's where the eyeballs are going in the years, then that's where we need to be. Wilcox talks about how the growth in media has had effects even on how companies do business and interact with competitors. So that stuff is now more difficult <clears throat> to access? Yeah, you can't access it on Facebook, Instagram. Okay. It's closed. And, and same thing with uh, Amazon. Those two aren't going to share each other because they're fierce competitors. Amazon's got all this data that they're not sharing with anybody about their users. And it's really very good, good information because it includes purchase data. And they can track it from point A all the way to point Z. Just in our lifetime, we've seen so much growth in technology and its capabilities. Whether we like it or not, media plays a huge role in our everyday lives. Haley comments on how she thinks we should engage responsibly with this ever-changing media. It's okay to just take life at your own pace. And if you need to step back from social media to realize that it's okay to take your life slower than another person or to do something different than another person, then that's okay. For Ramble On, I'm Marina Kugler. To close our episode, we'll hear from Elizabeth Jimenez. She tells us how not having your phone at camp can help you feel a greater sense of community. When I was younger, I was the most like outgoing little kid, like always wanting to like present first if you're doing a presentation in school, always wanting to like take charge, that kind of thing. But when my mother had cancer, I kind of shut down. I threw myself into dance, which was a good outlet, but it wasn't, like, I was still sad. Like, I was not the same kid I was before. And then once I got to Camp Kassam, I met all of these other kids who had felt the same way that I did. And I had all these counselors that were so like uplifting and positive and they showed me how to be myself again. This is Alexandra Owens, but some people know her as Cheetah. She's a sophomore advertising major at the University of Texas and in her free time, she serves as a member of Camp Kesem at UT Austin. Camp Kesem is a nonprofit organization that supports children impacted by caregivers' cancer. Kesem at UT Austin holds a summer camp for kids across Central Texas. But what's it actually like to be part of Camp Kesem? Well, for both campers and counselors, it's a chance to be a kid again. When the kids are at camp, 
it's supposed to be kind of this entirely different environment than um, where they're coming from in their homes, home lives and stuff like that. That's Cameron Dillon. She's a senior geography and sustainability studies double major and is also a member of KESM at UT Austin. At KESM, one of the first things they do when you get to camp is take away your phone. I love that we don't allow phones for our kids because KESM really does kind of take you into another space. And I think that having the phones would just sort of break that. And I think that's really good, especially because, you know, some of these kids, like, they don't need to be worrying about their parents all the time, you know, especially their parent that has or has had cancer. And while it might be hard at first, I think it helps you almost, this is also going to actually like find your more like truer self because you're not being as heavily influenced by everything that's online, everything that's on your phone. It gives you a chance to just kind of like sit with yourself sometimes. Plus, without phones, it helps campers focus on the fun stuff, like choosing a new name on the first night. We have this thing called naming ceremony, and basically you go up with your unit, and then your counselors are also there, and you stand in front of a fire, and you say, in the real world, my name is Cameron, but in the Kesem world, my name is Boogles. And then you throw a little bit of Kesem magic into the fire, and the flames ignite, and that's kind of you stepping into your Kesem persona. So Boogles is... It's a nickname that my oldest cousin gave me when I was younger. It has no significance in terms of what it means. Like, um, it's just a gibberish word, really. But I grew up with it, and um, it's just really special to me, and it felt like the right fit for Kesem. It kind of, like, because camp is the same for the counselors. Like, you're kind of going back to being a kid. Like, we want everybody to embrace that idea, not just the kiddos. And for Cheetah... I used to run track, and I was just really fast as a kid. And cheetahs were just my favorite animal at the time. And it's really stuck with me, holds a lot of significance. I actually have a tattoo that I just got a little bit ago. So, yeah, it just kind of stuck. And, I mean, that song, the one that has Cheetahs, Velveeta, it's Tarzan, it's my favorite camp song. It was made, it, it, it's not about me, but I made it about me. Because it's like dancing on a pizza, and I dance. So I'm like, it's just about me, like... And even though the new name started in Kesem, sometimes they follow you into life after camp. Cheetah's really, it's stuck with me. And it's like, I feel like when I was at camp, I was like, oh, I'm Cheetah here. And then I would like go back and like that I was Alex. But over time, I feel like I've like fused the two. And like I have become that like confident, outgoing person that I was at Kesem in the real world too. Another classic camp tradition at Kesem is Messy Games Day, which is basically what it sounds like. And this past summer, it was Cameron's very first time experiencing Messy Games. And I'd seen all the pictures where nobody is recognizable. And it's just like two hours in this one day where you're told bring clothes that you don't mind throwing away. And you go to these like different stations where it's just like paint and glitter and like... I don't even know, body body powder and stuff like that. Like, the first station we went to was Counselor Pasta. And so they have, like, marinara, quote-unquote, and um, Parmesan. And I elected to be the counselor to do that. And my campers really got me. They put it on my face. They got it in my mouth. It was very... It was a lot. But it was really fun and, like... It's just, like, a chance to be silly. Like, that's that's what so many of our 
activities are. They're just a chance to like let loose and, you know, get some steam off and stuff like that. But along with the fun stuff, there's times where campers get to share their experiences with cancer. I would say one of the biggest things that we kind of build towards is empowerment. Everybody knows what it is, even even like the younger units when you get to like yellowish, that's when they're like, okay, I know what empowerment is. But um, it's basically this night we block off the entire like afternoon going into dinner for it. And you sit with your paired unit and um, your campers and your counselors all sit in a circle, kind of like interspersed. And we it's the night where the kids are encouraged and and know that they are free to speak on their parents' cancer or on their caregiver's cancer. Cameron led the oldest unit at camp called the Silver Unit. She says empowerment is one of the most important parts of camp. Even though it's a heavy topic, a lot of our Silver Unit campers appreciate having a safe space to talk. A lot of people, you know, prepare themselves for it mentally and stuff because it can be a lot. Um, but over everything else, it is empowering. It's a very, it's a very like cathartic experience, um, especially for the campers. I had a few campers who had lost their parent since everything was online, since we had COVID, and I could just tell like this was something that they had had needed for the years since their parent had passed away. I was sobbing the entire time. It's it's very emotional. Um, but it's very beautiful, and ours ours actually went the longest out of anybody's, which makes sense because we are the oldest. But um, we did it for like four hours, four straight hours, and then afterwards, like you go out and you do this thing called a tribal cry or something like that, and you like scream your guts out just to let it all go and kind of get back to the present moment. And everybody is just so much closer after that. It's a really big moment for the campers. Cheetah says since there's campers of all ages, sometimes it can be hard navigating the different emotions that come with empowerment. And this is when I'd say vulnerability comes into play the most because we are sitting in a circle and children at all ages are sitting there, whether they're six years old and they're just saying, my mommy has cancer, she lost all of her hair, I don't know what's going to happen. Or it's a 17, 18-year-old who's really able to articulate like how it's made them feel. We are there facilitating this conversation, participating in this conversation, and we do get training on it. Training can only go so far. I feel like it's hard to navigate something like this unless you've been in it, it even just like in a space where you're talking about it. Cheetah says even though it may be hard at times, she's happy that kids can find support in Kesem, something that she struggled to find in middle school. After my grand- my mother had cancer, my grandmother also had cancer and then passed away. So it was all in like the same year. And so I was dealing with a lot. So throughout uh, sixth and seventh grade, I had a lot of friends that just stopped talking to me because I was sad or I was not the same. I wasn't as outgoing. I was still dancing. I was still running track. I was still doing all the same activities. But I guess that in their eyes, I just wasn't the same and that we couldn't be friends because of that. So I, it was, it was hard. Without support at school, she had to look for communities in other places. I really fell into dance. That's when I think I really, like, 
picked up in like ballet and I was like this is what I want to do with my life and I had those friends so even though school where I spent most of my day I didn't have the closest people I had one person who stuck by me like throughout it all and we're still like best friends to this day but other than her there I just didn't feel that support at school so I found it at dance and I grew closer with those friends and I fell more in love with that art form but you know it, it was not easy it was very hard and I would always just remember that I I would remember that I had Kesem I would and that was like part of what got me through she just says it's important to have a community that understands you I think that it's just good for people to have other people that can relate to them because you know it's a there's a lot of people out there and a lot of people have different walks of life so to find sort of people that can relate to what you've been through can be very comforting and it makes you feel a lot less alone because no one no one wants to be alone and especially not a kid because everyone wants friends and i think that those two were also very consistent and not changing um presences in my life like i knew i'd always i would always have ballet i would always have kesem Having people to turn to is an important part in dealing with grief. Ryan Loisel is a program director for Friendsway, a children's bereavement center in Rhode Island. Friendsway hosts weekly gatherings for families impacted by loss, and he says that having access to a strong support system helps kids feel less alone. I can I can share um, an interview that we just had last week uh, with you, and it was basically like I have my friends. I have my Girl Scout group. I have, you know, all these circles that I'm a part of. But nobody else really understands what it's like after my parent died. And I get to come to Friendsway and be there and somebody else gets it. And I think sometimes for kids, just knowing that they're not the only one and being in a supportive environment, I mean... We're making slime. We're making all these things. Then while they're doing something, they're talking about like how messy grief is while they are covered in slime to say, yeah, everybody wants you to like play quietly or nicely or not mess things up. And you're just like, I kind of can't. My world has changed. My dad is no longer here. He was my best friend and I can't just go back to life as normal. So I think it's when you're with, you know, your people or you find your, you find your circle, you find your tribe, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting to find these people. Chita says that in middle school, she just wanted someone to be there for her. I think all that I wanted was someone to just be there, to just hang out with me, like old times. Even though stuff had changed, It didn't mean that our friendship had to change. It didn't mean that I had to be treated differently, that I had to be, you had to be caught extra cautious around me. And part of being there for someone is just being there to listen. Cameron says that most of the time, listening is better than giving advice because you can't fully understand. It is, it is really listening because there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing you can say to them that is going to make anything better. And we just had one of our camper parents come and talk to us. Um, we'll have, we usually have like a camper parent come and talk 
when we have new recruits so that the new recruits really know from a, a parent perspective how much this org means. And he he said, like, you cannot tell these kids it's going to be okay because you just have no idea and you can't, you know, you can't lie to them. You can't give them false hope. So it's just kind of understanding it's a, it is a hard thing for some people to wrap their head around, especially like optimistic people like, you know, they just they want to be that way. And, you know, that's what's helped them. But, you know, you just have to realize that what helps you doesn't always help them and just really being open with them about what they need. Comforting someone dealing with grief can be tricky, but Loisel offers an alternative. Just ask me like, so, Ryan, tell me what it's like missing your person or tell me something or I want to share something that I remember about them. Cheetah gives us another alternative, giving the people the choice to choose what they want to do, just like Camp Kesem. We have like a term for that at Camp Kesem actually called challenge by choice, where, you know, if you want to participate in this challenge, whether it's, you know, sharing your story, whether it's playing a game, anything, like the kids are not forced to do anything. And I think that that is, I think that's one of the best things about Kesem. Whatever the choice is, Cameron wants people to know that there's a community out there waiting to listen. Even if you're not involved in Kesem, like after hearing this, I hope like knowing that communities like this exist gives you a little bit of hope because things can sometimes be really bleak. And I, I am no stranger to like falling victim to feeling sad or whatever. But I don't know. There's there's just always good people out there. I hope that this just gives a little hope to everybody and shows them, yeah, the power of community, the power of what people can do when they, when they come together. For Ramalan, I'm Elizabeth Jimenez. This has been Ramalan by Drift Magazine. Title music by Alejandra Gavilanes. Other music from Blue Dot Sessions. Written, edited, and produced by Eli Lang, Elizabeth Jimenez, Marina Kugler, and Dacia Garcia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Ramble On, and maybe think about taking some time off your phone and see what happens.